1: Welcome. Good to have you on board for this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. It is the 14th day of November and boy, just got Thanksgiving barreling down on us. Christmas will be here before you know it. I'll get you a complete list, by the way. I know Miles likes to go out and do early holiday shopping and so, you know, uh, car color. Engine size. I'll get all those details as soon as I can because I know you want to try to get a bargain there. You know, a little early holiday shopping. (laughs) It's going to take a huge bow to put that underneath the tree, no doubt. Well, at any rate, welcome to the show. Good to have you with us. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about on today's program. We will get into a bit of a holiday spirit later on when we talk about the importance of family traditions and hospitality during the holidays. Amber Clark is going to join us a little bit later on. It's going to be a fun segment and hopefully an encouraging one to you and your family. We'll get to that discussion a little bit later on. We'll also get um, a quick update with our friend Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute. You've been watching the alarming upspike in anti-Semitic behavior Uh, This is not only taking place, of course, across cities all over, but (laughs) even on the college campuses, as you may be aware. Anybody do anything about it? Well, uh, you'll be encouraged to hear that the answer is yes, absolutely. And Brad Dacus will have a full report for us coming up later on in tonight's show. But I want to lead off with a story. And we had followed for you some time ago a proposal that was making its way through the California State Legislature, AB 710. That was a direct attack on. pro-life centers across our state and and seemingly not content uh, to codify abortion into the California Constitution, make it available on demand, create an environment where people can engage in even abortion tourism to California, Um, and then, of course, targeted attacks against uh, organizations like Real Options here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now we've learned that in San Diego, a supervisor down there is taking aim at the county's 16 pro-life pregnancy centers. She calls them Fraudulent. Wow. Let's get some details from Greg Burt, director of capital engagement with the California Family Council. And it just seems, Greg, as if it's open season. And I always find it ironic that these people that purport to be pro-choice seemingly or anything but it just seems as if they're all about if you if a woman runs into a situation where she has an unplanned pregnancy it's off to the abortionist no options allowed dare you suggest that she could carry the child to term put it up for adoption carry the child to term keep it those kinds of concepts they don't even want to discuss so much so that anybody that even dares mention them ought to be shut down it's shameful
2: No, it is. Uh, Hey, Craig, thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, it it seems like that this year they tried at the legislature level to uh, introduce a piece of legislation to, you know, put together a campaign to let the world know how bad these pregnancy care centers are, and that failed. Um, And so now we have them uh, starting at a, a county level. And so what's happened here is. Uh, supervisor down in San Diego. Her name is Tara Lawson Reamer. Uh, she inter- introduced um, a, an, an agenda item uh, last week uh, that did, does a couple things. First, it tells the uh, county attorney to put together a lawsuit to see if we can close down the 16 pregnancy care centers uh, in that county. Uh, and and then she wanted to put together a social media campaign to include billboards and ads on social media to warn the public about these terrible pregnancy care things. And she calls them, it seems that their major crime is that they are offering women who have unintended pregnancies, they're offering them health, but they're not offering them the full range of what she calls reproductive health care, which means they don't offer abortion. And that is a crime to her. She says, and I'm quoting here, they are fake sinners pretending to offer reproductive health care and advice to women, luring unexpected women into their doors with misleading information. Right? No, they're they're actually operating... uh, these centers offering, you know, just a couple years ago, they offered $14 million in free services, supporting women, and but by supporting them, by encouraging and providing information and supplies and support so women could have their babies, right, and not abort them. Um, and so she considers this some type of crime, uh, which is, is really – uh, she wants to use the government, weaponize the government, and and go after a nonprofit who has no government support at all. Go after a nonprofit because she doesn't like the message the pro-life message this particular organization is giving. Well, I tell you it,
1: what, if we're going to work with her line of thinking, then let's turn the tables and say, okay, fine. Then we're going to sue every Planned Parenthood across the entire country, or let's start with the state, uh, for failing to provide the totality of reproductive options, including adoption services, prenatal care, the whole gambit, uh, so that sure. we can we can say, hey, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I mean, I. It, it just—I just find it absolutely remarkable how disingenuous these people really are at the core.
2: No, exactly. Planned Parenthood. Well, that kind of that kind of a name makes it seem like you actually help people plan, be par- to be parents. But if you go to a Planned Parenthood, you're not going to get any help with actually having a child. They only uh, are interested in helping you if you're there to end the life of your child. Right? So. How deceptive is that? But, you know, um, and what I find the most appalling is that the, the broad brush accusations that are obviously false, I mean, clearly false. They're saying they're not licensed. Well, if you just look at the, the, the clinics in San Diego, of the 16 pregnancy care centers, 13 are medically licensed. They have medical professionals with medical licenses providing, you know, Professional help, uh, for these women, and they, they're willing to white slander them all. And the, the sad thing is the press simply quotes them. They don't ask them, like, well, um, can you, uh, show me which, uh, pregnancy center in the San Diego area who, who's deceiving people? Or do you have a witness who actually went into a pregnancy center and was deceived about what this pregnancy center said? So no, they don't provide any information like that. And the press just simply quotes them. Uh, which is very frustrating that the press is not doing their job.
1: Well, the other the other interesting piece of irony here, Greg, uh, that I think shouldn't be lost on any of us, and that is, given the vocal positions that we see, the protests, the legislation, the efforts, such as uh, what the uh, supervisor in San Diego County is attempting to do, the lawsuit against Real Options here in the Bay Area, and 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 right. before that, the San Francisco uh, pregnancy clinic uh, back in history. Uh, you know the the irony is they act as if somehow abortion is this big secret that women are not familiar with or aware of I mean where, where is the sense of respect for women that they think women are that stupid that they don't that they need to be told at every turn by the way abortion isn't an option of course they know that what they often don't know is that if they find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy and they're overwhelmed by it that there are people and resources and organizations available to counsel them support them help them out up to and including not only prenatal care but postnatal care as and- as well, you need a baby crib. You need baby formula. Here it is, all free for the asking. And so, it really demonstrates that there is—I don't know what else to call it—a hatred for life. I mean, I know that sometimes right. sounds like you know, someone says, "Well, that's that's extreme right rhetoric." No, I mean, then give me a better term for it. I just—I uh, I just find it completely amazing to see the mentality that is pervasive amongst those in the so-called pro-choice end of the continuum that, quite frankly, at every turn, proved that they are anything but. It's amazing. Well, we appreciate the update, and I want to urge listeners to stay on top of this story. You can get more information available online at californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. Our thanks to Greg Bird, Director of Capital Engagement with the California Family Council. For that update. Hey, speaking of updates, if you are a resident of Union City, there is a city council meeting tonight at 7 o'clock where further discussion related to the um, ill thought out, ill conceived proposal to install a third marijuana recreational marijuana store in union city and we kind of figured out what the what the scheme is you know they're they're not permitted in fremont they're not permitted in newark so let's put one right near the fremont border we can attract a lot of business in town that way and get a lot of out of town tax dollars that's really the strategy here and uh, more and more evidence seems to support the notion that the real concern the real motivation here behind the city council's um, biggest proponents of this um, Mayor Carol um, Dutro Vernaci, along with council members um, Jeff Sakakihara and Jaime Patino, is that they're concerned about pensions. They're concerned about city funding. So you know, if we put a recreational marijuana dispensary in a neighborhood that backs up to family homes where kids hang out, uh, where there's already evidence of these stores inviting high levels of crime and violent um, burglaries, shootings, traffic, eh, they don't care. It's all about the money. So if you happen to be a resident of Union City, you may want to drop in on your city council meeting tonight at 7 o'clock and uh, there'll be a little bit more fireworks undoubtedly. But the more people that show up and speak up, um, we can begin to get the message home that law-abiding, respectful, tax-paying citizens and voters who want to enjoy their children in a Neighborhood that's safe for them to grow up in, be able to take a walk in the evening and not have to worry about getting shot at or run over by somebody that is high on marijuana just leaving a recreational marijuana dispensary, that they know that their neighborhoods are safe. And I think a strong message needs to be sent to uh, organizations like the Union City Council that has at least three members that apparently are all about the money and care little about the residents. And if I'm wrong about that, well, mayor, council members, vote in the right direction. Turn this thing down and prove me wrong. 518 from KFAX.
3: Oh, the weather outside is frightful,
1: but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Well, I guess you could argue that uh, old blue eyes there singing more of a Christmas song than a Thanksgiving one, but you get the idea. It's that time of the year the holiday season is upon us, and it's an opportunity for us to not only gather with friends and family, but to celebrate traditions and to open our doors and our hearts, maybe even to folks that are less fortunate than us, whether you're supporting an outreach ministry like the Bay Area Rescue Mission, or maybe simply inviting a neighbor that you know has no family nowhere to go and have them come to your home either for a meal at thanksgiving or christmas or how about just a little bit of tea and cookies well it's easier than you might imagine and to get some insights we're joined by amber clark amber is a writer a mom and a wife and she's got a passion to help bring back genuine hospitality in our homes neighborhoods and even communities and amber great to have you with us today
4: Hi, Craig. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited, and I love the intro music. I know we have, like, a common bond with the whole... uh Vintage thing. So. Oh, ab-
1: absolutely. And and yeah. you know, uh, just to put uh, put a point on of reference for for listeners, I, I'm I'm the type where and I've and I've seen this happen. Maybe you've seen this in your neighborhood around Christmas time, right after Christmas. Your neighbor has taken their tree down and they put it out on the on the curb and they've cut the thing in half and it still has all the decorations and the lights on it. <laughs> and I think you know beyond just the whole environmental slash economics of it, it strikes me as odd because in my family, a sense of connectivity back through the generations has always been so important. Uh, there, there is a delight that I get when it comes to, for example, at, 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 at Christmas time, and the same thing is largely true during Thanksgiving, to take the boxes down out of the attic and to, for example, at Christmas, open up a manger scene that was the manger oh. scene that sat underneath my great-grandmother's Christmas tree clear back in the early 1930s. My goodness, I mean, it's coming up on 90-plus years old. And it's like greeting old friends. And I think to be able to celebrate not only the connectivity to past generations, the, the sense of the rich warmness of those traditions, and to open your home to hospitality, what a joy. But sadly, that that sense of, of connectivity and, and tradition, I think, Amber, is beginning to, to disappear, even to the notion of, well, what are you doing for Christmas. Oh, it's just us. Well, don't you have anybody over? No, not really. I mean, it's it's almost become kind of a ball humbug, hasn't it?
4: Yes, it really has. I can't tell you. I've had conversations uh, in the last couple of years with people and, you know, some of the comments I've heard of are just, I, I'm just trying to get through the holidays. I just can't wait until it's done. You know, that kind of thing. And, oh, that breaks my heart. <laughs> this isn't, you know, Jesus didn't come down to earth as a baby, you know, at Christmas, um, so that, right, we could just kind of struggle bust through the season. Um, this is a real opportunity, especially for those, uh, who are followers of Christ to embrace the season and also bring people along with them. So important. It's just a great opportunity, um, really to show hospitality, um, to the world right now because they're hungry. We know we're in a loneliness epidemic. We see the headlines. Um, You know that the state of New York has actually hired a loneliness ambassador. Somebody to actually, you know, look into the situation. It's very real. And I think like what you talk about, these connections to the past. Oh, I love that. There's a richness there because um, I think that what we're seeking is community. And I think in the past, they kind of had a better handle on that. You know, they had a better handle on community and hospitality. And um, it wasn't so commercial, right? I mean, I love the bright lights too. You know, I love it all. I do. I love to decorate. But um, it's not enough. And there are people who are really hurting. You know, right now and really need. To see
1: them. Yeah, indeed. Oh, we're, we're not only missing out, I think, on on a an opportunity to cement traditions that will be valuable for our kids. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than to decorate the Christmas tea, tree and, and remember how my dad used to do it and, 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 oh, and the big production that it was. And, you know, it was an evening when the family got together, Christmas music was put on, a little bit of eggnog was poured, and we helped and each had different roles to play. in in assisting with decorating of the Christmas tree. And and a lot of those families are losing those rich traditions. We're missing out Mm -hmm. on opportunities to provide some brightnesses who suggest to to friends and neighbors that perhaps are really lonely this time of the year. And, you know, you said something earlier that I want to focus on for a moment, Amber. And we hear it all the time. Oh, the Christmas and the holidays are here. I just can't wait till this is over with, you know. Mm -hmm. I just want to get through this. And I think sometimes we place on ourselves such unrealistic demands and expectations, and we fail to, I think, really celebrate many aspects of this as the 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 simpleness of the season. You know, I, you might have a friend or a neighbor, um, somebody in your family, like me, that goes all out and decorates the house. So that everything that has, you know, that stands still in the house either has a light on, attached to it, or, or <laughs> maybe maybe maybe, maybe a, a an ornament hung from or at least some tinsel, right? <laughs> and you right. think, I just can't stand that. Okay, if it's too much and too overwhelming for you, what's the harm in running over to your local grocery store, buying a pie, making a little bit of tea, and having a lonely elderly neighbor come over for, for just a, a, a little afternoon visit? I mean, huh. there's, there's no hassle, there's no real stress on any of that. And I think it'll help people bring the joy of the season back in. So I wonder how much of this sense of bah humbugism, I'll call it, is really because we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves.
4: Absolutely, absolutely, and you know this—the this streak of perfectionism, um, consumerism, all of that—you've got to take a step back from that. I. I messaged with a lot of women um, on my website and on Instagram and they're saying, you know, I'm just having such a hard time overcoming this, this checklist, this perfectionism in me. I'm like, I get it. I get it. But until we can put those things aside, we have to create margin. We have to create margin during the holidays because, okay, great, all the things may be done, and all, but have you made connections? because that's what holidays are really about that's what hospitality is about that is what our um, culture society is so hungry for is just to be seen to be known and i love that you give the example of get a pie and and do you know make some tea tea time is my all-time favorite thing um i love to bring ladies um around the table and it is it's so simple just walking across the street and saying to a neighbor come over just come for an hour sit down with me let's chat what an amazing thing and it sounds so simple but it is countercultural people are just blown away especially in neighborhoods when we take the time you know to just really reach out just spend an hour with somebody but you've got to put the other stuff aside we have to remember it's great it's fun but We need to use this time to make real connections. And the the thing is, is it's feeding our own hearts too. You know, having time with people and really seeing them and bringing them to our table, what a gift. It's
1: just it's such a powerful thing. It, it really is. And I, and I think this is a good juncture as we go to break to also kind of give folks permission to not overspend it. we talked about not overdoing it, but also not to overspend it. I think a great degree of the stress, particularly when we're dealing with recessionary times and inflation and so forth, to have this sense of expectation that, you know, if I don't go out and spend three or four grand, you know, the kids are going to be upset. My wife will be mad at me, et cetera, et cetera. We finally got to the point. In my family, where we sat down and said, look, you know, we're 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 all kind of at the age where if we need something or want something, we can go out and buy it or go online and order it from Amazon. None of us for lacking. And, yeah, it's nice to go out and do some shopping and open up a gift. But if it becomes a burden, then you're really taking the joy out. So let's just agree together. We're going to spend a Christmas season. We'll, we'll exchange Christmas cards. We're not going to worry about gifts this year. Time with each other is going to be a gift. Because you know what? And I can say this from personal experience. By the time your parents are gone and you roll around to that first Christmas without mom, the first Christmas without dad, you're not going to be thinking, gee, if I'd only gotten a gold watch this year, gosh, if the kids had only surprised me with a brand new car in the driveway. No. You're going to be thinking about how much you miss dad's presence at the table, his lousy jokes, his you know spilling of the cranberry sauce all over your clean white carpeting, whatever. That's where your heart and your mind is going to be. So why not focus your attention during the holiday season on the stuff that really counts? You know, it's not only the notion of keeping you know Jesus at the center, right? He's the reason for the season. But also remember that relationships and, and celebrating time together, that's what really counts. And I know Madison Avenue will not be pleased at all with my advice that you forego spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and instead... Concentrate on making memories, but I really think if you did it for a year you'd probably never go back to the madness again. Amber Clark with us today. We are talking about what it means to not only cement and pass on traditions during the holiday season, but the true meaning of hospitality. And what a delightful way to share some of that during the Thanksgiving holiday, especially. We'll get back to more of our discussion. By the way, information about Amber's work online at AccordialHome.com. That's AccordialHome.com. And time out back with more in a moment.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right,
1: we're back to the conversation. Amber Clark is with us in this. Portion of the program, we are talking about hospitality, and it seems to be kind of a—I uh, don't know whether it's it's on the endangered species list, or we're just failing to pass it down, or maybe I think sadly in some cases, Amber, we're either try to overcomplicate it, or um, or or in other ways uh, save it, and I'm not sure for what. And, and for example, by that I mean this: uh, it's always a delight at my home, particularly around Thanksgiving, when it's not only uh, immediate family and uh, close. Friends, but sometimes uh, I'll even uh, invite uh, some folks that got no place else to go. And so before you know it, there's a table of, you know, 20, 22 people enjoying a Thanksgiving meal. And I know that there are some people, see if it doesn't sound familiar, that the good china gets saved but never comes out, never sees the light of day. E- equally the silverware because it's too much of a hassle to polish it. And uh, I-, I was always a believer, and a lot of this was passed down by my mother, that hey, you know what? It's there to celebrate good friends and good family. Why do you hide it? Take it out of hiding and, and you know, let it be there in all its glory. If the kids have got nothing to do, give them the project of polishing the silverware. Am I right?
4: Oh, my goodness. You are speaking my language. Yes, yes. Use the good stuff. Use the good stuff. Bring it down. Use it. You know, it's been fascinating. I have three young adult sons. And we've been using the china, you know, Thanksgiving at Christmas, sometimes for Sunday dinner, whatever. They embrace it. I mean, you would think like, oh, what, you know, 20-year-old guy. what? They love it. They love it. They appreciate the stuff. Children appreciate it. I've done, uh, I remember years ago doing a tea party for a group of four-year-old girls. They handled the porcelain teacups and saucers like champs. They get it. When we bring this stuff out, we're saying to people, "You're important. Absolutely, you matter. You know, we're we're bringing out the best for everybody. And uh, yeah, it's it, there's a hashtag that goes around a lot too on Instagram. Hashtag use the good stuff. Bring grandma's china out, and and we do. I actually have a plate rack I'm looking at right now. My husband built, and every month I change it out. And it's got a different theme, and I, and I have china there that my aunt passed on to me recently, brown transferware. I've got, you know, all kinds of things. Um, and it, it's just wonderful. I've, I, have, I have forks. I, I, that's the only flatware I have from my great-grandmother. But to put those on the Thanksgiving table and to think they're 100 years old.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've got to tell you a story. Uh, two years ago, Thanksgiving, uh, I was rummaging through, uh, prior to the holiday through a, uh, a hope chest that had belonged to my grandmother. And I kind of dug down to the bottom. I was looking for something. And I, I ran across... A a large white tablecloth that had tatting around the perimeter. Um, Uh, Some folks in the audience will have no idea what what I'm talking about. Just look it up. There had Mm -hmm. been tatting all the way around the perimeter and down in the center in in almost a web-like fashion. And I looked at it. And I saw that it had yellowed in some spots, and it suddenly dawned on me, this had been a table gloss that my great-grandmother, whom I've never met, mm. had done the tatting on. Oh. And I thought, you know what? I, I just think it would be an absolute kick to put this out. It, it's too short to really cover the entire table at Thanksgiving, but it would oh. serve as kind of a runner down the center of the table. Mm-hmm. And I I put it out there, and uh, when we did a little uh, a little toast at the start of the meal and thanked everybody for coming and had a prayer before uh, before diving into all the goodies, I, I told everybody I said you're 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 a part of a, kind of a unique experience tonight mm-hmm. in that the, part of the dining room table uh, tablecloth tonight is the tablecloth around which there had been many many family mm-hmm. meals that included Included four generations of my family going clear back. You know, sixty something plus years, oh. and I said oh. so. You know, as as we're celebrating Thanksgiving here tonight, and our minds turn towards those that were with us maybe last year, but are not here mm-hmm. with us this year. They're still, you know, their 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 memories are still alive in our hearts. Let's let's pause also and think about those uh, mm-hmm. that we miss yeah. and and celebrate that. And boy, you know, it it wasn't planned. It just kind of came together like that. Yeah. And yeah. Everybody, I had, I had phone calls from friends two, three weeks later saying, wow, you know what? I, I can't comment about how good the turkey was, but what an amazing experience. Right, right. And, you know, yeah. and I'll say that to, to folks listening and say, you know, if, if you're not an expert at doing the turkey, I get that. And, and maybe sometimes not everything comes out perfectly. But if if you focus on part of the experience that includes the mm-hmm. things that Amber's talking about, you will make it a memorable Thanksgiving.
4: And the amazing thing is there's so much. Um There's a lot of vintage China. There's a lot of vintage things out there. I've been amazed at the things that I've come across, you know, thrifting. And you just know, you find something, and you know, you know, somebody hand, you know, did the embroidery on this. This was on, this was someone, you know, somebody's grandma, on somebody's grandmother's table. And and it's kind of hard in some ways to see those things you know, and thrift shops, because people are just, uh, you know, kind of passing that stuff along. Well, we don't have, you know, we don't use this kind of stuff. We don't need it. And wow, I've found some incredible treasures. And some people have actually passed some of that on to me because they know I'm a collector and I'm trying to kind of keep it out of the the uh, waste heap, you know, and um, just hearing the stories about where these, these items come from, places they've traveled from. Um, and I, I'll tell you, I've got to share a really quick story with you. I There was a set of china that I loved. It's Royal Crown Derby, blue and white, and it's called Mikado. I couldn't afford it, okay? It was dream china. I had a friend, her mother was a collector. Her mother passed away. And we met up, she said, I've kept some pieces, but I need to let some things go. She brought like five boxes of China. I'm with my husband, we get in the car, we're headed home. I say, I'm so excited, I just have to look. I have to look what's in these boxes, right? Guess what was in those boxes? That very China. Wow. (laughs) That very China. I mean, it was like, God was like, here you go, hon. (laughs) You know? And that China's gonna come out for Thanksgiving. It's stunning. What a gift! And you know, she passed it on. She kept some of it, but she passed it on because she knew. All right, Amber's, Amber uses this. You know, she does. She she does tea parties. Sometimes people rent things out for me, um, just you know, for bridal showers, that kind of thing. Or I just come along and say, Hey, can I help out? Can I can I offer some dishes to make this you know special event a little more elevated, that kind of thing? But there they were, a whole setting of eight. Isn't that
1: amazing? It is absolutely amazing. And, and again, it, it, it adds something special, I think, to the season. And yeah, I, I know that there are those, those eavesdropping right now that say, Amber, Craig, you're both nuts. I mean, <laughs> we can get decent plastic plates at Costco and it all goes absolutely. in the trash. There's nothing to yep. polish. There's nothing to clean afterwards. There's nothing to put away. And I get all of that. Yeah. But yeah. what we're suggesting is that there's also a different side to all of this, that, yes, takes a little bit more time, takes a little bit more effort, but the way in which it celebrates people and will cement memories yes. that your kids will carry with them forever. And I think there's something to be said. It's sitting down at a dining room table and saying, you know, like in my case, I have never met my great grandmother. But mm-hmm. that night, in a sense, she was present uh-huh. at that table because of the tablecloth. And I think that all of us, as we as we focus on this time of the year and oftentimes and Amber, you started by talking about people getting caught up in all the busyness and and then and the demands that are put on us by you know Madison Avenue and and so forth to instead pause and say, maybe make Christmas and Thanksgiving 2023 a little bit different. And it's not Uh-oh. it doesn't have to be involved and complicated. If you don't want to really polish the silverware, you don't have to. But even something Uh-oh. simple like inviting some friends over for cookies that you bought at Safeway and, you know, pick up a a bottle of uh, or a a carton of non-alcoholic eggnog and and enjoying that or putting on a pot of coffee and just visiting with neighbors, you might completely change a hurting person's life this year with such minimal effort.
4: Absolutely. We just don't know. We just don't always know people's stories. Um, I I really think in large part as we're moving through the holidays, these kinds of things, even from a consumerism kind of point of view, there's this, this element that we all want, this experience, right? This Christmas cozy thing, this magical thing. I really think at the very heart of all of that, it's about connection. We want to feel connected. We want to feel like we're all together in this a part of something bigger a part of celebration and you know that's the other element to hospitality for me is using celebration really as a ministry really as a way to come alongside and encourage people encourage my own heart
1: Absolutely. And especially this time of the year when there's a focus on these things. And you might have neighbors that come from a different culture that they don't normally celebrate Christmas. This is all new to them, perhaps, or they don't decorate the house or anything of that sort. And yet having them come over to your home just for a brief visit, uh, Mike. Give you an opportunity to really bless them in a significant way, and again, as, as Amber suggests, it doesn't have to be anything crazy or involved or over the top, but just making those connections. And for so many people that are hurting during this time of year, especially at Thanksgiving, to invite them over and and um, be a part of, of your meal, even if you're saying, "Craig, a turkey," you got to be kidding me. We're running through the drive through at, uh, at at Kentucky Fried Chicken. and We're going to call it a turkey. Knock yourself out. Just so long as you're making memories spending time together with family, and doing what you can to really extend true hospitality. Amber, I have a feeling we're going to be talking again before the holidays are over with. Thank you so much for the visit today. Find out more about Amber and her work online at acordialhome.com. That's acordialhome.com. And thanks so much to Amber Clark for being with us in that segment of Lifeline.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All
1: right, welcome back to the conversation. Well, pretty amazing today if you watched any of the news Um Estimated crowds of about 200,000 showing up in Washington, D.C., um, not only in standing in support of Israel, but calling out anti-Semitism. And boy, that's getting to be a growing issue, not only in hotbed places, obviously, like the Middle East, but even here in the United States. And to see some of this violent backlash, I mean, you know, I, I, I realize that there's probably some blame in respect to um, overreaction. Um From a political standpoint, that that those who are supporters of Palestine, as well as those that are supporters of Israel, can be accused of. A lot of rhetoric and name-calling and things of that sort. But when you look at how Israel was suddenly and secretly attacked in the middle of the night, and innocent men, women, and children, defenseless so, in their beds, at home in their beds, sleeping, were gunned down, homes set on fire. 1,500, 1,600 people brutally murdered. Israel responds to defend herself, and everybody is upset. And, of course, it has gone um, way overboard, giving rise to incidences of anti-Semitism, even on college campuses. Let's find out more about what's been going on. Brad, pardon me, Brad Dacus joins us. He is the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer himself and counselor. As always, we appreciate getting some time with you. It's been very troubling to see the rise in anti-Semitic rhetoric, particularly on college campuses.
3: Yeah, Craig, this has actually taken Americans by surprise, Uh, shocking the average American uh, to see our prestigious universities in particular seemingly to uh, bowing the knee to these radical pro-terrorist, pro-Hamas demonstrators yelling and chanting uh, from the river to the sea, which means exterminate all of Israel uh, and even other language implying and, and talking about basically killing all the Jews. Uh, this is the, the rhetoric being chanted at these universities um, across the country. It's not just one or two; these are universities across the United States. Uh, and you know, while you know many of these students are immigrant students that are allowed or given the grace to come to the United States with a visa, visa and student visa, um, many of them are actually people who. Uh, whose parents came here, uh, who, who live here, who maybe are citizens of the United States, and yet have been very openly hostile to Jewish students on campus uh, at a very frightening level, and even Christian students who dare to defend the, the Jewish students and uh, their uh, opposition to terrorism.
1: You know, what's particularly frightening is uh, down through the years, I've had the privilege of interviewing a number of Holocaust survivors people who escaped the brutality of <coughs> me, Nazi Germany um, post World War II and found refuge in the United States. And they came here to not only protect their life, but to start a new life. They thought this was a country where they would be protected. And to see that, that barely two generations following World War II, some of the, the same kind of anti-Semitic rhetoric that was prevalent in the Nazi party in Germany is creeping back in. And happening right here at home in the United States is, is disturbing and troubling to a very great degree.
3: Yeah, it, it, it is because of the massive level of it uh, among not just one campus, but many campuses across the country. There's just a long list of, of colleges where have these, they have these large mob kind of demonstrating, harassing, threatening, uh, vitriol against Jews. But also we have to take note of the fact that uh, many professors are signing off on this, leftist professors. It's very indicative now of exactly who is controlling Especially these Ivy League universities. You know, uh, Columbia University had over a hundred of its professors sign off on a letter justifying uh, the Hamas and what the Hamas did to the Jews in Israel. This is horrific, unbelievable that we have this much vitriol, racism, anti Jew, you know, anti Semitism. Um, hatred in professors that are teaching our leaders of tomorrow. Uh, it's it's a, a, such a high concern. We at Pacific Justice Institute have made a public pledge that we, through our offices, 36 offices, coast to coast, uh, have pledged to defend every Jewish student against any professor or any mob of students harassing them, threatening them at any of these universities, and we'll do it without charge, along with defending, of course, The Christian students who are uh, seemingly also harassed as well.
1: And these campuses, these colleges and universities, they have an obligation, do they not, to protect students? I mean, I'm I'm all for a free exchange of ideas and the give and take and, you know, First Amendment rights, you know, that's without question. But allowing an environment to fester where there is outright hate speech, uh, students are being harassed Mm -hmm. to the point of even being physically attacked, don't these campuses have have an obligation to protect those minority students. Uh,
3: they absolutely do. Uh, they have an obligation, and in fact, that's one reason why a law firm uh, that we at Pacific Justice Institute salute and are and are offering to assist has filed a lawsuit against New York University just for that reason. And I think we're going to see other lawsuits filed against other universities. We at PJI expect to be a part of at least some of those lawsuits. Uh, assisting students uh, without charge. It's, it's, this, is, it, this is the time, though, the silver lining is this is the time when Christians have the opportunity to do what they didn't do in Nazi Germany. They can do now, which is to speak up loud and clear that we're never again going to allow this to happen and to stand by the Jewish people in the workplace, in the schools, and in the public square We've got to do it, and uh, this Christmas time, I hope we uh, we, as a church and as Christians uh, actively go out of our way to support uh, the Jewish people and this uh, tremendous uh, horrific uh, attack against them uh, on so many levels.
1: And it's horrific enough to see what transpired a little over a month ago. Uh, there in Gaza, but then to see the same sort of hatred and vitriol find a place where it can grow and germinate here in America, uh, that that is troubling to the nth degree. And, and, you know, whether it's 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 pockets where we've seen cases of rise in, you know, the Ku Klux Klan in parts of the South to anti-Semitic comments in, in New York and college campuses and other places across the country. There's no place for this in America. That's not who we are and we cannot tolerate this kind of behavior and uh, right is right we need to be quick and swift to speak out and speak against it and to stand up and support everyone now does that say that you 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 can't uh, have a heart for the plight of the palestinian people of course you can so long as it isn't to exercise to the degree where now you're you're using a, a level of discrimination against jewish people and, uh, again, when we see this rise of anti-Semitism um, almost being stoked or encouraged on college campuses, we need to call it out. Our thanks to Brad as president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. If you hear of a case, or maybe even yourself, um, have been targeted uh, under these circumstances, we invite you to reach out to the Pacific Justice Institute. They do all their work pro bono pacificjustice.org that's pacificjustice.org and when you're thinking about your holiday giving as well and your end of year giving remind too remember too to support the ongoing work of the pacific justice institute again online at pacificjustice.org Our thanks to brad dake as founder and president of the pacific justice institute for that update six o'clock exactly from kfax